pulling out of the bag. This is uh, organic blueberries. Uh, they are considered a superfood, right? Did you guys know that? Okay, you know what a superfood is? Okay, well, it's good for you, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, hey, to go with that uh, old-fashioned oats. I mean, I know they go with blueberries because they're right on the picture there. Okay. And then, uh, oh, look at this. We have uh, organic blueberry granola. So remember, blueberries are a superfood. Okay, so there's this. All right. And uh, we can just put that there. Uh, oh, we have this here too. Look at this. Pop-Tarts with frosted blueberry. Right? And blueberries are a superfood. Okay, good, good, good. And uh, sadly, this doesn't have any blueberries in, but it is a breakfast item. Are you guys familiar with this? Okay, so uh, I guess for picking, uh, we should go youngest to oldest. That'll still get the girls first thing. So how old are you? Six? Seven. Okay. It works. Six. You get to pick first. What do you want? You can have any of these. The Remember, this goes with this. This is by itself. This and then this. What would you like? Anything you want. It's your choice. You want this. Okay, go ahead. There you go. All right. You're next. What do you want? What would you like to pick? Remember, there's this. Um, this is organic uh, granola with blueberries in it. Oh, we're going to go for the frosted blueberries. Okay, all right, good, good, good. All right, you're next. What are you going to go for? You're going to go for that. Okay, good, good. And hey, guess what? No choice for you, my friend. What's your name? Uh, Tim. Tim, okay. All right, okay. All right, thanks, you guys. Thanks, Tim. All right. Is that how you would have gone, that order? You would have gone... The opposite, right? Wouldn't you have? You would have actually started where Tim ended. Right. I, I agree. That's where I would have. So uh, I guess what we want at the outset as we think about it, let's turn to Psalm 23. What we experienced there was Sunday school is dismissed. Thank you for participating. Now, just so, just so you know, that ex experiment always works that way, right? Uh, we, we had a kids' club in Hunter Mile House, which is uh, British Columbia, where we used to live before we moved to Abbotsford. This is about uh, six hours north of Seattle. Uh, we had a, uh, a kids' club, and at the end of the, the, end of the year, we had a table full of prizes. We had a, a brother in the assembly that had a Hot Wheels store. And uh, so he closed this store down and he donated all these Hot Wheels to, to the kids club. And so uh, there were, you know, some of the prices were still on these things. And uh, there were cars in there that were worth $80, $90. They were remote control. They were Hot Wheels. They were incredibly cool. And so, of course, you have the, the gummy worms and the chocolate bars and all this stuff, too. And so I'd invite these kids up as they would win, and they'd look through the table, and they'd take a chocolate bar. I'm like, why? 
why wouldn't you take the Hot Wheels? He's like, why? I said, well, look at it. It's uh, 80, 80, 79, 95. He's like, hmm. No, I think I'll take the chocolate bar. And so this continues on and on. This is uh, uh, this is how it works everywhere, not just here in Brantford. This is how it works at our home as well. We are not going to use that to in uh, to question intelligence, though, right? That's not what we're experiencing, right? Uh, it's about choice. Uh, it's about um, what people want. We can see by age it varies, right? Uh, we could add to that that uh, it's a good thing children don't choose our menu, right? I mean, you can't let your children choose your menu for breakfast. You know what will happen. Uh, so, you know, we need. We guess we could learn that that um, it's always right for parents to teach their children what's good for them. And, and again, so as we think about, uh, it's not about intelligence, it's something else. As we read Psalm 23, uh, as we read Psalm 23, we want to think about these things and see how they can apply or fit with Scripture. So, uh, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Father, we're uh, grateful to be here today. Uh, we're thankful for the songs that we've been able to sing, for the privilege of remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we look into your word, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, as we think of Psalm 23, just by way of reminder, uh, let's, let's remember that this is one of the great trilogies of Scripture. Right? We know that uh, all of Scripture has incredible trilogies. You know, if you go back to uh, Genesis 1, we were reminded this morning of the uh, name of the Lord. Okay, it wasn't from Genesis 1, it was from Exodus, but the name of the Lord, Elohim. You know, uh, we thought of Jehovah, but another name for the Lord in Genesis chapter 1 is Elohim. This is a word for, for plurality, uh, that God is uh, three in one. And so, uh, you know, others who've gone on before have written uh, numerous books to show that, that, um, that the imprint of the triune God is in his universe, you know, that all of uh, the world or the universe as we know, uh, as we know it and as science has sought to discover, has the imprint of three on it, right? And so uh, you could read books like uh, uh, The Secret of the Universe by Nathan Wood, and he goes to great lengths to show you the triunity or the trilogy stamped in God's creation. Why? Because it reflects him, Uh 
as we think of uh, this psalm here, we're reminded that it's a trilogy. It's one of three. Uh, both John, uh, Brother John and Brother Greg in week one and two, uh, emphasized, um, you know, relationship with the Lord Jesus. You know, the importance of relationship. Uh, Brother John in week one uh, reminded us of these uh, these terms for the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, the uh, good shepherd, uh, the great shepherd. I don't remember, I think he mentioned chief shepherd, but you know, it's interesting that that as you think about this great theme of the Lord Jesus as a shepherd, uh, you know, it's only referred to three times in the New Testament. You know, the Lord Jesus first in John 10 is called the good shepherd. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, which we were there this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, the Lord Jesus is referred to, you remember that as the great shepherd. And then lastly, just over a few pages from Hebrews chapter 13 in 1 Peter, he's referred to as the chief shepherd. Okay, and so uh, the good shepherd, the first mention of him in the New Testament is connected with the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. Okay, the second reference, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, is connected with the Lord Jesus uh, in his present tense work on behalf of us. Right. I mean, uh, we love to think about the Lord Jesus this morning, that he he was born, he lived, he died, he rose again. It's connected with him as the good shepherd, giving his life for the sheep. Uh, but we know that there's other scriptures, too, we could read that uh, present to us the Lord Jesus as ever living to make intercession for us. You know, uh, uh, Anderson Berry in his book had had it entitled The Unfinished Work of Christ. Sometimes we emphasize his finished work. Right on the cross, the Lord Jesus said, "It it is finished." But there's still an unfinished work, right? And that's present tense. Him bringing us to heaven with Him, right? Moving us through, sanctifying us. So uh, we think of the Lord Jesus as the Great Shepherd. That's present tense. That Hebrews. That's Hebrews chapter thirteen. And then lastly, lastly, we think of the Lord Jesus as the Chief Shepherd. First Peter, and that's Him. Remember him coming again. Well, uh, that trilogy is here in in Psalm 23. Uh, well, Psalm 23 is present tense, right? The Lord is my shepherd, says David. But what's Psalm 22 about? Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? What's Psalm 22 about? Hey, Psalm 22 is about the Lord Jesus on the cross as the good shepherd. And so, uh, you know, both brothers, week one, week two, pointed out that that um, it's about relationship. And hey, we can't get to Psalm 23 until we read Psalm 22 and, and come to the realization that as we see the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and all the suffering associated with Psalm 22, that that was for me that he took my place, that what he did, that's what I deserve. He didn't deserve it. I deserve that. He took my place. And so uh, we, would, we would suggest that that's biblical conversion. That's that change of mind about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him for me. And so it starts there. That's Psalm 22. Uh, Psalm 23, present tense. Hey, what about Psalm 24? What's it about? Uh, 
It's about the coming king. Verse 9 says, uh, verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 9 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And so if you want to put a title over these three psalms, over Psalm 22, we can use the language of John chapter 10, the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. Over chapter 23, we can write the great shepherd who ever lives. This is about, about sanctification, the sanctifying experience. And then in Psalm 24, we can put, as um, Peter says, the chief shepherd, he is coming again. The king is coming, right? We sometimes sing that song, and he is coming. So uh, that sort of uh, trilogy, exper- uh, our, our, our application, um, then we want to be reminded that the verse we're going to emphasize or the line of the verse we're going to emphasize this morning as he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, this would be connected with uh, food. I think that's accurate to say it's connected with food, uh, with appetite, uh, but with food. And again, the emphasis is on the Lord Jesus, which is interesting, you know, that trilogy that's in Uh, Luke chapter 15, right? There's a trilogy there, you know, a three-part, one parable told in three parts. It starts with the shepherd, and then it's the woman with the, remember, there's a a lost sheep, and there's a shepherd. Uh, There's a a lost coin and a woman, right? You remember that? And then the third part of that one parable is a father who had two sons. And so no question about it, The shepherd is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And when you read through that, that parable that the Lord Jesus told, the emphasis is on the shepherd, not on the sheep. It's about he, him, right? All the things he did, the sheep in the story, uh, all he did was get lost, right? Uh, And that's that's easy to happen. Uh, And again, as we think about even this morning, our experiment in science uh, or in human behavior, it's not a question of intelligence. So this idea that a sheep has a propensity or a bent to get lost, they have poor sense of direction, right? They have poor sense of direction. That doesn't make them dumb. Because if we take that logic, listen, the smartest being potentially in the universe is a homing pigeon. Because they can fly a record is uh, 7,200 miles to find home, Right? This is a common knowledge. You can check it on the internet. Lots of examples of that. Actually, there's some even more. I think a, a homing pigeon made it to Australia, 8,000 miles. And so uh, they have an incredible sense of direction. But that doesn't make them the smartest, potentially smartest being in the universe or second to humans. Although we would say this, hey, it's possible. I've been lost in a mall. Have you ever got lost in a mall? You need a map. I mean, you get in there get turned around. Uh, Does that make me stupid? Say, well, the jury's still out on that. Uh, Depends who you ask. But uh, this idea that that sheep have certain bends, right, that make it difficult for them, so sense of direction. Uh, What else weakness do they have? Well, uh, they're defenseless. They're not built for defense. They're not uh, a lion or a bear, tag, or any of those, those great predator beasts. Uh, but they are created by God. 
right? Sheep are created by God. Now, I could never say I'm an expert on sheep, but I can tell you this. My grandfather was. My grandfather made a living. Actually, at some level, built a financial empire. Uh, well, you know, he sold it when he went, went home to heaven. The family sold it for, you know, $5 million, and that's back when $5 million was a lot of money. And, uh, and so it was somewhat of an empire, and he built it on the backs of, or on the backs of purebred Suffolk and Hamp sheep. And so he was a shepherd his whole life. In fact, he immigrated to British Columbia from Scotland when he was 13 and had sheep from that age onward. And he loved his sheep. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, my mom and dad got married. My dad ended up in uh, prison when I was eight. And so we were basically raised on my grandfather's farm. And uh, my grandfather would never have called sheep stupid or dumb. Uh, he just understood that they had certain bands, right, that that didn't allow them to do as well as other animals. Uh, he knew that that sheep were uh, had a flock mentality. They were they were created that way. You you when you think of lone anything, you think of lone sheep. Say no, you think of lone wolves or lone predators. They travel alone. Sheep aren't built like that. Uh, my grandfather uh, used to tell the joke. Uh, he didn't have a lot of jokes, but. Uh, one of them he always used to tell was when little Johnny was in school and um, the teacher, uh, Johnny couldn't get math. And so the teacher was trying to explain to him, Johnny, if you have 10 sheep in a pen and one gets out, how many do you have? He said, zero. She said, Johnny, listen, if you have 10 sheep in a pen and one gets out, how many do you have? He said, zero. She said, Johnny, you just can't get this. He said, teacher, you may know math, I know sheep. And so uh, this was the story. They have a flock mentality. So they're built that way. They were created that way. Uh, the imprints of the creator on these animals. I mean, uh, hey, this is what I'm telling you, this stuff. I mean, what my grandfather believed. Hey, you can read studies from Cambridge University, and they will tell you that, that sheep of course, don't have the IQ, the IQ of a uh, human, or uh, maybe a uh, uh, dolphin. I think dolphin is the highest on the IQ level. Uh, I think it's, uh, most studies would say, of course, humans, they attribute humans, or they would say humans are, animals. we don't believe that, right? So we would say dolphins are, are number one, uh, and then I think they have ravens at number two. Uh, interestingly enough, pigs at, I think, three, sometimes three or four, and pigs are smarter than a dog. Uh, some say can be as smart as a three-year-old child, uh, and so pigs, and then the farm animals go down from there. Uh, sheep aren't in the top ten, but sheep have intelligence. And so, uh, but at the same time, they have weaknesses, and so sometimes those weaknesses are what's emphasized as we think about them. Say, well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be negative. Hey, we know that people have strengths and weaknesses, right? We all have that. Certain people good at certain things, and the opposite of that's true. 
And so uh, if you think about uh, sheep, what's their, what's their strengths? Well, they're a social animal. Uh, I think uh, Cambridge said that sheep could recognize and remember up to 50 faces through photograph. 50 faces of sheep, other sheep, or of people. And they say, well, uh, this is, this studies, these people are actually doing this stuff. And so they're showing uh, people, or sorry, uh, sheep, pictures of people and of other sheep, and they can remember. It's up to 50 faces for two years. Uh, that flock thing, they're social. They uh, say that they like certain sheep better than other sheep. They choose their social groups. Say, well, we're so grateful that that doesn't happen in the church, right? We all love one another equally the same, right? We just love everybody. I mean, if you can't believe it, ask Armin. He loves you all. Now, he doesn't always show it, right? And uh, But he does. And, and so sheep are, are a, a social animal. As we already emphasized, uh, they have no defense mechanism, so they flock together. That's how they protect. That's their best opportunity to protect. And we say this, that, that um, we know that, that the Lord has placed us in church fellowship. Right? This idea that we uh, need one another, right? And not just to help. Uh, sometimes we need one another to change us, to help us to move forward in our sanctification experience, right? That rubbing together uh, changes us into the image of the Lord Jesus. So that's sort of by way of um, uh, rec- or, uh, of introduction. Uh, it's good to say as we think about food in verse 2, that's what it's about. It's about food first, and then it'll be water next week. And then we want to be reminded of the importance of food in Scripture, right? Food and water. Actually, there's, um, there's lots about food and water in the Scriptures. Uh, Isaiah 3 says that as a judgment to Israel, as a judgment to Israel because of their disobedience, the Lord would take away their food and their water and then would give them babes to rule over them. And so we already said, uh, you know, we love those kids, right? We love those kids. But uh, we don't want Karen choosing the menu for the assembly, right? Right? I mean, her first choice, she could have chose anything. And she, well, basically, she could have chose anything. The cinnamon toast crunch was gone. But when I took it out of the bag, I saw her eyes go like this. So you know what that tells me? That would be what she first chose. And, um, hey, you can't live on Cinnamon Toast Crunch alone, right? You know that, right? And you can't live on Pop-Tarts alone. So the idea that the Lord took away their food, their water as a judgment, and allowed children or babes to rule over them. So you have food there. Uh, Actually, when you uh, read the first three chapters of Genesis, food and eating mentioned nearly 30 times. You know, the sin in the garden, what was it connected with? It was connected with eating. Uh, 30 times, Genesis 1 through 3, uh, as a judgment in Isaiah 3. What about further on? Hey, the Bible is full of this idea of food. How important it is. People say, well, it's just a, a little thing. 
say, well, actually, uh, the Lord tests us. We know that in little things, right? It's all about the little things. And so although it's presented as something small, doesn't really matter. I say, well, actually, it's very important. You know that uh, there's only one, one miracle it's record, that's recorded in all four Gospels. That's, that's pretty profound when you think about that. Only one miracle. Of all the hundreds of miracles the Lord Jesus did, only one miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. You know what it is? Huh? The fish and the bread. The feeding of the 5,000. The only one. That's about food, isn't it? Say, so, yeah. Hey, you remember, uh, you remember when Elisha and his servant Gehazi and the, the Assyrian army circled the city. Remember, Gehazi was at his wit's end. Elisha said, it's no, no problem for us. Gehazi's like, how so? He said, well, the host that's with us is more than the host that's with them. And Gehazi said, well, I can't see that. And so Elisha's prayer is, Lord, open Gehazi's eyes so he can see. And so remember when his eyes were open, what it looked like? He said the, the hills that were surrounding the Syrian army were uh, flaming angels and chariots. And so remember that there was a blindness given to the um, Syrian army. And so Elijah led them, or Elisha led them to the king of um, Israel. Remember the king of Israel said to him, shall I kill them? And Elisha said, of course not. Give them food, give them drink and send them on their way. So the idea of food we have here in uh, Psalm 23 is a very biblical, a very Christian concept. The idea of hospitality and food. Uh, the importance, I guess we could add to that, the importance of what we eat. This is what um, David, this is what David is thinking about, the food that the Lord provides for him. You know, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, uh, the food. So there's satisfaction, there's appetite, there's food. Uh, does the Lord feed us? He says, well, he has made allowance for it, for sure. You know, uh, the great president, Abraham Lincoln, said, you know what the greatest gift God has given us is? He said this here. The word of God. This is the greatest gift God has given us. Say we we would say amen to that. Abraham Lincoln, he he knew that. Uh, he knew that apart from the word of God, God potentially can't be known. I mean, we would say that uh, he certainly can be appreciated in his creation. There's lots that could be said about that. It was to suspect that that uh, that's where David got his deep insight into God was in creation. You know, he writes about that further on or, or previous to this, uh, the idea of that God being manifested in his creation. So David experienced that as he was out uh, in the fields, keeping watch over his father's flocks, even by night. Uh, he appreciated by night, by day, God as the creator. And uh, I would suspect that that um, when David thought about uh, his flocks and thought about this connection, uh, he saw lots of comparisons. The need of the sheep, hey, same as us. Uh, we need direction. Sheep are challenged directionally. 
And so we're challenged directionally. You know, we need something that makes a straight path for our feet. Well, the psalmist tells us what that is. It's the word of God. Um, We need food, right? Sheep need food. They need the shepherd to provide that. And so we say, uh, well, the Lord has already given us his word. We say, yes, we, we love that. But that, of course, doesn't mean we read it. You know, if you think of, uh, you know, presidents, uh, uh, John, is it John Quincy Adams? Is that is that right? What number was he? Huh? Number six. Number six. Uh, he said he read the Bible every year. Once a year, he read through the scriptures. Say, well, he's not as busy as me. Right? I'm busy. I don't have time for that. You know, I'm I'm doing big things. Right? I'm busy doing big things. He doesn't know the situation I'm in and say, well, uh, that's what he said. He said he couldn't wait uh, to teach his children to read so that they could read the word of God on their own. He said that's what was going to make them good citizens of the United States of America. And so he was a man of the scripture. So he, like Abraham Lincoln, loved the word of God. And so as we're thinking in this passage about food, Right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's this idea of satisfaction of food. Uh, are you satisfied with the Lord Jesus? Say, well, not as I ought to be. I don't think we would all say that. Say, well, there's probably room to be feeding more. Right? You can think of all the great men and women who've had great exploits for the Lord in a past generation, possibly. uh, What did they have in common? They were all men and women of the word of God. And we often uh, quote George Mueller illustrations, you know, of the things he was able to accomplish. And say, well, you know, uh, when George Mueller went home to heaven, his wife said he read the Bible from cover to cover 200 times in his life. He had made a personal commitment that he would read 10 pages of Scripture for every page of a good book that he read. Uh, that's just one example. You know, we've been reminded of the, uh, the Jesus freaks. I mean, I have a friend, I have a friend who uh, has gone home to heaven, worked at Turkey Hill Ranch Bible Camp. He was saved down in New Orleans in the front of the street. Uh, he had a, worked in a a clothing store, and there's a parade going by New Orleans in the middle of the day, uh, Mardi Gras. And so he went out there, all out there watching it. And he said, in mixed in the crowd were these Jesus freaks, guy in sandals and a Bible, <laughs> you know, a New Testament, walking along, preaching to people he met. And so uh, he met my friend Sonny, showed him from the scriptures God's plan of salvation. Sonny got saved, went in to tell his boss uh, came back out to encourage the brother, and he was gone. He said he never saw him again. The word of God. Hey, the, the Jesus people, you know, all those songs we sing, hey, they're steeped in Scripture. These men, women, they love the word of God. Say, so that's what we want to be. That's what healthy sheep look like, are those that are, are fed. And so, uh, hey, 
Psalm 23, verse 2, he makes me to lie down. This is the idea of satisfaction, green pastures, that's food. And so we want to be challenged, I trust, this morning in um, our appreciation of the Word of God. If there's one application we can make, and we want to, we want to do better at reading, studying the Word of God, coming to know better the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. We say, hey, if... um, we don't have our thinking changed. If we don't have our thinking changed and our minds transformed, uh, we're not in a very good position, right? We want to have truth as it's portrayed in the Word of God come into our minds. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 and to transform our thinking, right? We can see that, see that with our children in our um, food experiment, right? You know, uh, Amy's got some work to do, right? changing her children's thinking, and so on, right? But uh, we don't have a problem with that. We say that's the spot we're in, and we have the Word of God, and it is absolute truth. We believe that, right? And we rejoice in that. So we say we want to spend more time in the Word of God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we're, I'm grateful for your Word. Uh, we're thankful for how it, uh, by your Spirit, works in our lives to change our thinking. Uh, we want to ask on this first day of the week that we might make a fresh commitment this day even to read and to study your words, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to be reminded of what he has already done on our behalf. We just commit ourselves to you today, commit our fellowship to you, pray for those who are away, pray for the camp, for the uh, Father-Son weekend. Bless them this morning, we pray in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.